Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today I want to talk about inflation. Now, there's been a lot of worry throughout the United States and the world about a sharp rise of inflation that may be coming to give us all a reckoning. This week, I want to talk about the basics of inflation and exactly what it does. Next week, I have a guest coming on the show to talk about how you can position your investments in case inflation decides to show up. The last thing before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to the guys and girls over at the Best Film Ever podcast. I love everything they do, and they were kind enough to invite me on their panel at the podcast virtual convention, or for short, PodVCon. If you have any interest in movies, I highly recommend their show. And if you want to see me perform semi-decently at their movie trivia game, you can find that on the PodVCom website, as well as the Best Film Ever podcast Facebook page, which is just called Best Film Ever Pod. The links for those are in the description below, and with that, let's start the show. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host... Alrighty, so what is inflation? To put it as simply as possible, inflation is when the cost of things goes up. Have you ever heard a grandparent talk about how gas used to cost a dollar to fill up a tank? Or maybe how a bottle of Coke used to cost a nickel? Well, those prices clearly didn't stay the same over the past few decades. So what happened? Well, inflation happened. The technical definition of inflation is that it is the decline in the purchasing power of a currency over time. Simply put, $10 today cannot buy you nearly what $10 could have bought you in 1990. The goods and services stayed the same, a bottle of Coke is still a bottle of Coke, and a tank of gas is still a tank of gas. What changed is the value of the dollar bills in your wallet. Let's take a second and talk about how we track inflation. Inflation is tracked by having baskets of goods and checking their prices over time. You are going to hear this phrase a lot. It is almost impossible to talk about inflation without saying the phrase, basket of goods. The reason for that is pretty straightforward. The process of tracking inflation involves someone from an organization that's trying to track inflation goes out and puts together a quote-unquote shopping cart full of commonly purchased goods. Some things that are almost always included are a gallon of milk, a loaf of bread, a pound of ground beef, a gallon of gas, a bag of diapers, a cup of coffee, and whatever else people want to track. Then they check the price of the entire basket. For the sake of this conversation, let's say that the entire basket of goods came out to be exactly $100. Next year, the same person is going to go out and purchase the exact same goods. Say that this time, when they went to go check out, the total cost of the goods was $105. Well, then that organization would report that the inflation for last year was 5%, because the cost was $5 higher, or $5 out of 100 is 5%. That was a real simple example, but... This happens all the time with dozens of organizations tracking dozens of baskets of goods. In the end, it's all averaged out so that we can get an approximation for inflation. Because of how this process works, inflation is always backwards looking, meaning that the inflation has happened before we realize it's happened. This means that no one can say with 100% certainty if inflation is right around the corner or inflation is expected to be X percent next year. Like with anything, people can make guesses, make predictions, make models, go on CNBC and talk about their research and why their estimation is better than someone else's, 
But really, we don't know it's happened until it's happened. Let's get a little more official with our measurements here. What I just described a minute ago with the basket of goods is called the Consumer Price Index, or CPI. The method attempts to track the prices for a basket of goods that a, quote, average person would buy. In actuality, the basket of goods contains 80,000 items, so we aren't exactly tracking what you're buying on a single shopping trip. The more items that are included means that hopefully we're getting a more accurate measurement as far as what the real rate of inflation is. The last measurement that I'm going to mention is the Producer Price Index, or PPI. Much like how the Consumer Price Index measures a basket of goods that may be purchased by the average person, the Producer Price Index tracks items that would be bought by companies that make goods. These items are typically raw materials that are used in manufacturing or just to make products. The items that are tracked here are more like iron, steel, cotton, leather, and lumber. The tracking process is mostly the same, except that there are some inclusions and exclusions like tariffs, imports, and a few other things that I don't really need to say for you to get the idea of how this works. So we've talked about the definition of inflation and how it's measured, how it's tracked, but what does it really do? Well, from an economic viewpoint, inflation increases the prices of goods and services. As those costs rise, so does the cost of living for that country that we're tracking the inflation for. As the cost of living goes up, consumers have less money to be able to spend after paying their bills. This leads to slower economic growth and, potentially, a recession or depression. Something that consumers like you and me need to consider is that inflation is always happening, but usually it's in too small of an amount for us to notice in our everyday lives. So you really need to be careful as to where you put your long-term money, such as savings. Say, for example, your grandparents stashed away a million dollars under their mattress back when gas was a nickel per gallon. With that much money and that price, they could have bought 20 million gallons of gas. Because it was a nickel per gallon and a million dollars, 20 million gallons of gas is what they could have purchased. Assume that they put that money under their mattress and they never touched it. And today, they decide they want to retire. Well, using the price of gas as at my local gas station today of $2.60 per gallon, that same million dollars can now only buy 385,000 gallons of gas. This is where we get the phrase, losing money to inflation. Even though you started with a million dollars and you ended with a million dollars, what you can purchase with that million dollars has been drastically reduced. In our example, we went from being able to buy 20 million gallons of gas to 385,000 gallons of gas. This is why financial advisors don't typically recommend saving your money in a pillowcase. In the end, the inflation is going to get you. So what you need to be doing is making sure that wherever you are putting your long-term savings, it needs to be in a place where you are at least matching the rate of inflation. This could mean a savings account, certificate of deposit, or a CD, money market savings accounts, stocks, bonds, or real assets. Unfortunately, due to today's interest rates, savings accounts, CDs, and money market accounts are earning you less interest than the rate of inflation. This means that you are still losing money to inflation overall, but the higher interest rate you can get, the better off you'll be. You might lose slower than you would otherwise. This means that for the time being, you almost have to invest in stocks, bonds, or real assets to keep up with or even exceed the rate of inflation. This won't always be the case, but for 2021, unfortunately, that's where we are. Now, to be clear, I am not explicitly saying that all cars and houses are good ways to protect yourself from inflation, but in general, the asset class is. How that works is, as prices increase, that means the price of your house could also rise. This is why real assets can offer inflation protection. As the costs rise, so does the value of your asset. 
for the moment, we're going to go ahead and put that topic aside as we're going to face that topic a little bit more in my interview next week. So what causes inflation? Well, I would hate to give you this answer, but you should have seen it coming. The causes of inflation are supply and demand. What we are talking about here is the supply of money and the demand for goods and services. Let's go ahead and work through it. If the supply of money rises, people then have more money to spend. Now, if you have all of this extra money in play going around trying to purchase the same amount of goods and services that there were before, the higher demand for the goods and services means that the providers can charge more for them, and therefore they're going to go ahead and raise their prices. When this is done at a macro enough scale, you have a large percentage of sellers and providers raising their prices, and boom, inflation. On a similar note, if instead of having an increased money supply, you have a shortage or a decrease in the supply of goods and services, well, then you have the same amount of money you had before chasing after a reduced amount of goods and services. This again leads to a spike in demand and leads to producers raising their prices, and therefore, inflation. Now, I don't want to go too deep into this, but if you look at the opposites of the last two situations I gave you with, you end up with the opposite of inflation, which is deflation. With deflation, prices of goods and services decrease. This can be due to a reduced money supply, meaning that people have less money and therefore can't afford to buy high-priced items. This forces sellers to lower their prices so that they can sell their stuff at all. Or alternatively, you can have a surplus of goods and services. You'll have deflation here because prices will have to come down because people don't need to buy all the stuff and the sellers need to get rid of it. So prices go down, deflation. Companies typically do a good job of controlling the supply of their products, so I'm going to leave that one alone for now. What I would like to focus on for a minute here is the money supply side of the conversation. For those of you that listen to my podcast as it's coming out, thank you for your support by the way, you'll know that in 2020 and 2021 there have been trillions of dollars of coronavirus relief aid sent out to American citizens. This includes direct checks. I have to say this before I start getting hate mail, but I am not here to talk about the politics of these payments or the relief aid, just the economics. A big reason that there are tons of inflation worries today is because of those direct payments. The theory being that since we've sent out tons of money to American citizens, we have increased the money supply. Also, we've had tons of company closures, production slowdowns due to virus safety measures, and other things that have added up to negatively affect businesses. This means that we have both an increased money supply and a decreased supply of goods. With what I've said in the last few minutes, it should be clear that this is a double whammy for inflation. Something that I haven't mentioned yet is how interest rates affect inflation. Long story short, low interest rates mean that you can get money very cheaply, which means you can borrow to buy more stuff than you can afford now. This means that lower interest rates also increase the money supply. So now we are dealing with a double dose of increased money supply from the checks and the low interest rates with a side order of decreased supply of goods and services that all that extra money is able to buy. This is what's known as the legendary triple whammy for inflation. You add all three of those together and remember that we won't know that inflation has hit us until it's already started. And of course, people, companies, and institutions are worried about inflation. Now, before I come across as a fear monger, as far as we know, there won't be much more inflation than what we're used to. Yes, checks were sent out to American citizens, but many of the people who received those checks had lost their jobs. So it's not extra money being put into the system, it's just money that's replacing what people have lost. And yes, there may be a lower supply of goods and services, but with people staying home, they're buying less than normal. 
And yes, interest rates are very low right now, but I can tell you from experience, financial institutions are tightening their credit standards and are preparing for high loan losses. This isn't the Wild West of 2008, when banks were lending out hundreds of thousands of dollars to every Tom, Dick, and Harry who claimed they made $1,000 a month day trading, while their spouses went out and sold essential oils door to door. All of this to say that, as of now, we don't know what's going to happen. I just want to lay out the facts here so that you can all understand why a good portion of the financial media is talking about inflation right now. I could keep going, but I'm going to save the rest of this conversation for next week during the interview. As usual, I have included some links for a further reading in the description below. For those of you that made it all the way to the end of the episode, I want to thank you for your support. There are about 40 or 50 of you that listen to the show every week, so when I say feel free to shoot me an email with topics you want to learn about, I really mean it. Don't think that your email or tweet will get lost in my inbox. I am very proud to say that as of this recording, I have responded to every single email that has been sent to me with either questions or suggestions for an episode. If you're interested, my links are in the description below. I hope you all have a great week, and I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.